How many of you remember the first day you started in a new school? Or the first day you started a new job? Or maybe the first day you got into your very first home and you got to sleep the first night? It's like those moments where it's all new. Uh, you, the potential is unlimited. You have these dreams and these hopes of what can be. And sometimes it surprises you how wonderful the newness is, and sometimes it disappoints you because it didn't quite turn out like you thought. In the Christian life, when you become born again, become new, and it's your first day as a Christian, uh, it's much more than just a new thing. It's, a, it's a, an eternal transformation of you, and it begins with the very first day that you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and then you begin on this journey. And God puts his Holy Spirit in you, and he assigns him the task of helping you to live your life. And every day is another opportunity to learn from him, to, to see him at work around you, to join him in his activity, to let the circumstances you find yourself in shape you and mold you. Uh, it could be the good things, the bad things, everything. You know the verse in Romans, he makes everything work together for good. Well, he can take all of that, and it, it's... It's not just that circumstance that he's trying to make good. It's your life. And so we're beginning a new series in Philippians, starting with the very first verse of Philippians. If you want to turn there now in your Bibles, you can follow along. Philippians chapter 1. And this series is called Living the Faith. So Pastor Neil and Pastor Sam and myself will meander through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we get to listen in on the father, the spiritual father of brand new Christians. So uh, we're, we're going to learn a few things to, to see how the spiritual father encourages his children in the faith. So would you let me uh, pray for you as we begin this message? Father God, this is your day. You created for yourself. You rested, and you told us to rest, to come before you as your people, to celebrate you and your goodness, to reflect over the past week and months to see how you've worked in our hearts and minds, how you've answered our prayers, how you've blessed us. Father, we, uh, I would take even a moment now just to be sensitive to those who have lost everything in the town of Lytton, to those who uh, go back to a foundation with ashes on top of it. No toys, no clothes, no piano, no photographs, nothing. And they have to look at a new beginning, a starting over. I pray, God, that your people especially would rally around these families and show them your love at their greatest time of need. Father God, may you shine. Oftentimes people want to blame you for the tragedy, but they forget to see you um, in the aftermath and in the healing times and in the blessing times. So, Father, may we be a part of that. And may we be open to what your Holy Spirit would tell us today, even me as the pastor, the preacher, that, God, you would teach me something today through your Spirit as we Enter into your presence and honor you. May your word be living and active. Pierce even to our heart and soul today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul starts off with this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so most of you probably know that Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. Uh, if I was in prison in Rome, I, I've seen some of these prisons, I've been in Rome, and uh, they're not pleasant. In fact, a lot of them are pits in the ground, they're carved out of stone, there's a hole in the top, and they kind of drop food down to you. There's no way you can get out unless they put a ladder or a rope down and haul you up. And it stinks, <laughs> it's cold and dark. 
This is where he's trying, I don't know if he's under, this particular time he's in house arrest, or he's in a, an actual prison. But we know that Timothy, his, uh, his beloved, um, what do I say, he's uh, his helper. Uh, probably when Paul first met Timothy in the city of Lystra, Timothy was a teenager. And Paul was going through Lystra on his first missionary journey, and uh, Paul and Silas, and they came to this uh, river where they met some women that were worshiping. And so in, in the city of Philippi, um, where this letter was written to, it's in, the, in the, the region of Macedonia, which is north of Greece, and uh, it's just south of Bulgaria, east of Thessaloniki, and um, Paul goes there with Barnabas, and he's preaching along. Because this, this city was a walled city, you can see kind of a rendition there in ancient Philippi. They didn't have a synagogue in the, the city itself. So the, the Jews who were wanting to worship would go down to the river, and they would worship down by the river. And this is where Paul met Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. Most of you may know that purple cloth was only reserved for royalty and the very wealthy. So she probably made a good deal of money off of the wealthy, uh, catering to their needs. Uh, in, uh, not in my notes, but just an aside, uh, a couple of months ago, they found some purple cloth in Jerusalem, in the old city of David. And they assume it would have come from one of the kings, because those are the only people that could have that kind of cloth. Very special process to turn it to that color. And so, uh, down by the Crenides River, Paul meets Lydia and uh, converts her to Christianity, shares the gospel. And she is so uh, impressed, so grateful that she says, but why don't you guys come live at my place? And so he goes, Paul and, and Barnabas go back to um, Lydia's home, and they live there. They lead the entire household to the Lord. Later, they're in the city town preaching the gospel, and they get arrested. They don't like what's going on, so they throw them in jail. And what happens? A miraculous escape happens, and they get to lead the jailer to the Lord. And all of his household are baptized. So as Paul is writing this letter, in his mind, he has the faces of the jailer, the rogue jailer who turned Christian. I think when he became a Christian, it ruined his career. I have a feeling like, all right, you know, I'm supposed to give you 29 lashes, but how, how about two, you know? <laughs> uh, do you know about Jesus? You know, I, I often wonder if the jailer became one of the ushers, you know, the bouncers in the church, and, you know, this is all you're going to give today? Like, come on. Love to have a guy like that a part of the congregation. And, Lydia, and I wonder if Lydia was one of the ones that gave lots of money to support Paul. Because this church was a continuous blessing to Paul. All along his missionary journeys, they kept sending money to help him out. Uh, he was self-funded, I guess, raised his own money. He was a tent maker along the way, made some money that way. But uh, this church particularly, when he was in dire straits, would send him money just at the right time. And it was, I don't know, they had this special bond. Paul doesn't write this way to all the churches. He really picks the Philippian church out. And so he calls himself a servant. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord. This word is also translated slave. And a servant or a slave is someone who takes care of the master. Takes care of the master's interests. Takes care of the master's needs. And doesn't care so much about their own needs. And he's writing to the saints. The word is hagios, which means holy ones. You are the saints in the church in Maple Ridge. You are the saints, the holy ones that he is writing to and even speaking of in, in a vicarious way. And then he talks about the overseers and the deacons 
These are also translated bishops as a show of respect and honor to them, acknowledging that they are caring for the body of Christ. They are ministering to the Christians there in the church family. So it says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There was a an understanding, that word partnership, can anyone guess what that is in the Greek word? Koinonia. You've heard that term before. Thanking you for the koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. It can also be translated communion that we're going to partake together. It's a joint affair. It's a joint effort. It's a partnership. Thanking God from the very first day, he says, when I first met you and you surrendered to Christ, we became partners in the gospel. Partners in the blessing, partners in the sacrifice as well. Verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So once we're born again, a process takes place. Something's initiated. It's like all the pieces are put in place finally and the machine starts to work. And as the Holy Spirit is sent to each person and helping us become the person that God wants us to be, helping us to reflect Christ more and more in, in what we do and what we say. The, the process, it begins at conversion, and it says it doesn't stop until we stand before Jesus face to face. So it's a continue. If you're, if you're a Christian and you're not growing, there's, there's a problem. If you're, if you're resting on 50 years of Christianity, going, I've arrived, like, ah, sorry, but it says it doesn't stop until you see Jesus. And he says something like, well done, good and faithful servant. He, he, it says, uh, the 18th century theologian and revivalist John Wesley, he says it this way, that he who having justified hath begun to sanctify you will carry on his work until that issues in glory. We're justified with salvation, and now we're going to be sanctified, which means looking more and more like Jesus. Anyone here have a problem with anger? I see those hands. You know, I can get angry really fast sometimes, if I'm, especially if I'm tired and annoyed a little bit. Or, uh, you know, it's, uh, driving is the worst part. I have to be careful what comes out of my mouth sometimes, <laughs> you know. In a Trans-Canada Highway, every day, there's certain things. And I, you can get angry, or you can be neglectful, you can be selfish. You can, lots of things can creep in to our life. And the words we say sometimes are just a bit too harsh. We're just a bit over the top sometimes in how we react. And as it, the longer we take in our life with Jesus, the Holy Spirit has a, an opportunity to, to shape and mold us to be more like him, less like us. Keep our personality, but get his fruits of the Spirit in us. So I want to talk about this verse 6 here a little bit. This, uh, he who began a good work in you. The work is God's work. You know, when he created the heaven and earth in six days, he says he rested. He ceased from his work. But he ceased from his work of creation. He didn't cease from his work altogether. He's not like up there on vacation with the fishing poles, you know, fishing in the Pacific or something. He's... He's working hard in each one of us. We, are, we have become his work. This is, this is what God does now. Is he, he wants to help create us into the people who can fit into his heaven. Philippians 2.13, in the next chapter, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. No one starts a work project 
without the intention of completing it. Now, I've driven by uh, some houses in the lower, lower mainland, well, mostly houses. They're, they're half houses. And I've seen some that have sat there for years. I've been in the lower mainland, I don't know how long now, 15 years since coming back from overseas, and I see the same projects unfinished. I don't know what happened, if they just got tired, if they ran out of money, if they got busy with other things. God doesn't do that. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't get distracted. He's constantly helping us to to be fashioned into the likeness of his son. So he, he doesn't walk away from us, and he's got a blueprint in mind. Now, you can trust him that he knows what he's doing in our life. Oftentimes, a, a bad thing happens or a crisis comes, and we want to blame God. How could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? The truth is, he knew it was coming, and he wants to be there through you as you walk through this situation to show you how he can be strong in the midst of it. Everybody faces tough times. Everybody faces a crisis. But it's the believers who have the Holy Spirit in them to help walk them through that to the other side. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's this transformation process that God is involved in, in us. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes the transformation can take weeks, months, and years. But you should always be changing into the likeness of his son. So I dabble in carving, wood carving, uh, soapstone carving. I just, I like to make things with my hands. And so sometimes I get this really great soapstone. Uh, We'll put the next slide up. There we go. So I tried a little penguin action there out of of soapstone, and you can see it's, it's got some pits in it and some rough spots. And not all soapstone is pure soapstone. It has little bits of metal. Sometimes when you're filing, you can get sparks and uh, a lot of sanding, all that kind of stuff. And I have some projects I've, I've thrown in the garbage because they were so weak that like a leg broke off or an arm breaks off. The wood, uh, that's a piece of a cedar. I was at a, a youth camp. I was speaking at a camp one week, and I had a whole week. I said, what am I going to do? So I got out my whittling here it is right here, a little whittling knife, and I, I carve away little things and see what comes out. And in, in fashioning things like this, you take away everything that doesn't belong. It's like Michelangelo was carving the statue of David. He says, you just simply just remove all the stuff that doesn't belong, and you leave the statue inside. Well, when God works on us, he doesn't take away stuff from the outside. He, he starts actually on the inside, working us on, the, on our heart. And in our, our minds, and our thoughts, and our attitudes. The transformation process is actually, in the Greek, it means renovation. So it's taking out the old stuff and, and, and putting in the new stuff. Uh, so we're going to be doing some renovations in, in, the, in the foyer down the road. We're going to be doing some painting on the outside to make it look a little fresher and newer and, and up to date. We've, we've, you're enjoying a new HVAC system because the old one... Gave out, and I saw them hauling it off the, the roof and putting it on the back of a flatbed and taking it away because they want to put the new one in place. You're listening to a new sound system that you all helped to pay for. Doesn't it sound great? Very clear. Good resonant voice, you know, for us baritones. <laughs> but this is renovation. It's taking out the old, putting in the new. It's an exciting thing that happens. 
This is what God is continually doing. So the work is God-initiated. He, he saw you, and he loved you. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you, and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And he's begin, going to begin to help you to, to be stronger, to not, to not be afraid, to not be so anxious, not to be so worried all the time, because he's got everything in control. He is our companion and our guide. Because he, he starts the work, and it's his work, and then... Uh, he will fashion this. He will work. Um, the work is unique to the individual. In other words, what he's, what he's going to do in Brad's life, like God's got to do a lot of work in Brad's life. Amen. But it's, it's different than the work he's going to do in my life, you know, and the different than he's going to do in Pastor Neil's life. We have different backgrounds, different fears or different uh, hang-ups, different uh, experiences, and God takes each one and fashions a design for you individually. Because he's got different works for each one of us to do, which he's planned in advance for us to do. I like a verse in Romans 8, 2. It says, the Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. Were you, were you abused as a child? The Spirit has a path to help you overcome that and to be strong through that. Did you grow up with learning challenges? My brother found out he was dyslexic after he had gotten a PhD. Like, what? He had a challenge all of his life that no one ever diagnosed. God helped him use that and get through that. Were you picked on? The Spirit helps with the wounds that you grew up with, that you even maybe carry today, that maybe you still react to think today like you did when you were a teenager, when you were picked on. The Spirit helps you can thrive in life. Did God give you the gift of being a natural leader or an artist or a craftsman, but you've never really used those skills for his kingdom? He can take your gifts and skills and abilities and be a blessing to God's people, to be a blessing in the community. He adds his abilities on top of yours and creates an amazing ripple effect with what you have to offer him. He takes and does beautiful things. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece, his workmanship. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So the masterpiece, he takes your talents and your gifts and your abilities and your experiences and your family life and the country you grew up in and the opportunities you have, and he uses it all to fashion you into his masterpiece that he wants to do amazing things through. You know, sometimes people think you're a Christian and you're done. I'm good to go. But God says, no, no, no. <laughs> you're, now you're good to be used by me in significant ways to make an impact in this world. Now, now you get to help me, God says, reach your community. Now you get to go on mission trips. You get to help create opportunities for, to serve in the community. Now, now, you get, now the fun starts. You're not done. We're just getting started, he says. So the work... The work is continual. It never stops. Every situation, every relationship, every hardship, every blessing, every challenge you face is another opportunity for God to shape you and mold you. Don't run from those things. Enter into them with the, the expectation that God is going to work through this. Don't say, why, God, did you let this happen? Say, okay, God, what are you up to in the midst of this? What are you trying to teach me? How do I, how do I be strong in the midst of this so others who are falling apart can look to me? For hope, because I've got hope in me. God's always at work around us, and we are either working with God or we're working against God. 
So if you resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, I really believe this. If you resist what God's trying to do, there's going to be certain situations and circumstances that will pass you by that you won't get an opportunity again to jump into. I wanted to be the dad to my kids that always said yes to God. And that put me in some precarious places sometimes. Uh, I have I've, several times I've written goodbye letters to my family in case I didn't come home from places that I went to serve overseas. I didn't know whether God was going to use this to take me on home or send me on home. Uh, but I just wanted to always be found as being saying yes to what God asked me to do because I didn't want to miss any opportunity that he was going to put in my, my, my pathway. And the work is progressive. It says that God continues his work in you until the day of Christ. That means he's going to keep working in us and through us and around us until we see Jesus again face to face. What a glorious day that will be for a lot of people. What a very sad day that's going to be for a lot of people. Because they'll look back and they'll see the opportunities that were missed. They'll see the chances that could have served but chose not to. They'll see opportunities that God designed and created for them to do, but they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't say yes. They turned around and were too busy with other things. Verse 7, Paul continues. He says, it's right for me to feel so strongly about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of this grace, both in my imprisonment, which he was still imprisoned, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, my, my two sons and my wife will be in the next service, so I can say this. Maybe they won't listen to the recording. Uh, my, my, my son surprised me. This last Thursday was my birthday, and my younger son says, oh, I've got to pick up your gift. It's just, it's just finished. What do you mean finished? Like, this is, this is a holiday. Nothing's open. <laughs> he leaves, and three, we go shopping. Three hours later, he comes back. And in walks my other son from Saskatchewan. I didn't know anything about it. He walked in. He walked over to me. And he hugged me. He just started crying. He's missed his family. And that's the affection that I sense Paul had for these believers. He dearly misses them. He wishes he could go and give them a big hug. And say, you know, I love you in the Lord. And we're working together. Stay strong. Stay firm. And watch as God works in you and through you to help you, to fashion you to look like Jesus Christ himself. It's my prayer, he says in verse 9, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I'll add, that what has happened to me, the imprisonment, it really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, they've seen me arrested. They've seen me thrown in prison. And I'm okay. It's strengthening everyone else. They're not afraid that they're going to get in prison. They're like, wait a minute. If this is Paul... And he's still writing these kind of letters. He's still singing songs of praise in the darkness. He's still praying strongly for us. We can, we, can, we can share the gospel too. We can be strong. Did you hear those statements in those last verses? That your love may abound more and more. He's talking about your heart. And he wants us also to grow with knowledge and discernment. That's our mind. And to be pure and blameless. 
That's our character, how we present ourselves with integrity. Talks about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's our actions. That's what we're doing. That's the love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. All of those things that he wants to build into us. And then finally, he says, being confident and more bold to speak the word. That's power. He's dealing with our heart, our mind, our character, our actions, and giving us power as the Lord fills us and works in us. My brother likes to say, God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. You're acceptable to him just the way you are, but he's going to take, the moment you come into relationship with him, he's going to start building and fashioning you and shaping you into the likeness of his son. So we all start looking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, loving those around us, being more patient. So Paul wants us to understand that once we're a Christian, we're not done. Once we get baptized, we're not finished. It's just the beginning of a journey. He wants us to know that we're not complete as a masterpiece until we stand before Jesus. And he looks at us and says, come, you who have been faithful, come. I want to give you the crown of life. Come, I want to give rest for your weary soul. Come, enter into my joy. So the way I look at it is what God is working out of you right now, uh, he's also trying to work things into your life. He's working things out of you, and he's working things into you. More and less. Are you looking more and more like the sun and less and less like the world? More loving, less hateful, and more patient, less irritated, more kind, less selfish, more peaceful and less angry, more joyful and less anxious, more self-disciplined and less haphazard, more prayerful and less afraid. Surrender to the work of the Lord in you, more and less what he wants to try to do to each one of us. And we cooperate with the Spirit, we can be blessed. So last, uh, about a week, a week ago, we participated in an online memorial service for a friend of mine in our last church. Uh, amazing person, very unassuming, small man, um, an engineer by trade, worked in Africa as a missionary for some years. Uh, his wife worked at the, uh, the seminary at, um, at Axe. Um, and so... As people started having the open mic time and sharing about him, his whole, the picture of who he was really became sharpened. It was evident by everyone who knew him that he lived with joy. And he had a fantastic smile, very disarming smile. It's like you could be instant friends when he smiled at you. He cared about God's mission. And he cared about quietly sharing the gospel wherever he went. He cared about people. In fact, he headed up uh, the, uh, the refugee settlement team. And he even learned Arabic so he could speak to our refugees in a country where they didn't know English. He loved without judging others. There's a story, I guess I can tell it, where he had some interaction with members of the LGBTQ community. And uh, he had kind of a black and white attitude when he went into the conversation. When he came out, uh, his son asked him, so what would you think? And he said, you know, it's a lot more complicated than I thought. And his son said, he learned that he can learn from just about any, something from anybody. He was a teachable person. He was open to new ideas. His actions were selfless and sacrificial. He even had a, a powerful impact in the co-op housing group that he was a part of. Refugees, the seminary staff his community, the church. This person that I got to know, his name is Grant Fruing. 
who passed away, he's standing before Jesus. He gets to give an account of his life. And he gets to review all of the opportunities that Grant had and all the ones he took advantage of and some of the ones he probably missed along the way. But I can tell you that from all the people that I heard on that, that um, time that we had on, online, um, Grant looked more, probably more like Jesus than most of us online. Um, he just lived the faith. He, he lived out what God was working inside of him. Are you growing in your love for God and for others? Are you filling your mind with God's stuff or the world's stuff? Does your character reflect the character of Christ? And lastly, is your influence growing where God has placed you? We should be like leaven, it says, in the world, having a quiet, growing influence wherever he places us because the Spirit wants to use what's in us for his glory, to bring attention to him, and to draw people to Christ through us. And that's our goal as Christians. We're on God's team. We're, we're teammates with the Spirit of God and with Jesus and with Paul and with Silas and Barnabas and all these people that have gone before us. We're, they've handed the baton off to us to carry it the next leg of the race until we all get to see God in glory together.